Amen. So good to sing together. Uh, if you are up for delaying lunch just a little bit, uh, maybe about a half hour, or maybe a little more than that, uh, we will have our quarterly business meeting after the worship service today. So we'll just kind of have like five, ten minutes or whatever for you to uh, talk, hang out with each other, and then and then we'll start a meeting. And so if you have time and are able to do that, uh, you're welcome to stick around for that. But delaying lunch is hard. I get that. Uh, we are going to be eating together uh, at our annual harvest dinner here in November. That date is inside the bulletin, so uh, make sure you mark that down. That's in the evening. More details to follow, but uh, just a, an annual tradition of the church that is certainly worth being a tradition. And so I'm grateful for food. I love to eat food. Um, I, I know it costs a lot right now, uh, but it's still plentifully available to us, and we probably fail uh, too often to give God thanks for that reality. I'm thankful for many in the church who are engaged in the work of farming and, and give yourself, especially at this time of year, long, long hours in order to provide food for people. And so we are very grateful for that. Um, speaking of food, do you remember uh, sample days at the grocery store? I don't think they do those anymore. Uh, maybe it's another thing that COVID killed. But you remember sample days at the grocery store where you walk in and there's a table and somebody's there and they've got like a little cup, uh, a sample of some food or like meat on a toothpick or something like that. And you, you take it and politely listen to their sales pitch about how much this whole package is on sale for. And maybe even before you took the sample, you didn't even realize how hungry you were, but your stomach starts to growl as you get a little sample of this food and you are reminded of your hunger and your need for food that might even cause you to just go ahead and buy the whole whatever it is that they're selling. That's why they used to do samples at the store. Well, today we're in the final part of this three-part argument. We just start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and go to the end. And so we're in the book of Hebrews. Main argument of the book is that Jesus is better than anything, so stick with him. But we're in this section in Hebrews 8 through 10 where the argument is specifically Jesus is the better priest of a better covenant because remember that the audience of the book of Hebrews are people who had grown up in the Jewish religion, converted to Christianity. God saved them. They're now saved, but they're wondering as persecution begins to rise, would it be better for us to go back to the old religion, to the old covenant? And the argument in chapters 8 through 10 is no way. Because Jesus is the better priest of the better covenant. The old covenant, the Mosaic covenant specifically, was a real covenant. It was good. It was like, though, a shadow or a sample that reminded people of what they really needed and the better thing that was yet to come, and that is the new covenant in Christ Jesus and His blood, which we talked about last week. The old covenant was just preparing the way for something better. And so here's what I want us to get today. Today we're walking through the end of this argument, which is chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Here, here's the argument for today. Only Christ's once-for-all sacrifice is sufficient to save sinners. Only Christ's once-for-all sacrifice is sufficient to save sinners. 
we will pray and read the Word, and then I'll walk us through it in hopefully a way that stirs up not just our minds but our hearts. There is a sermon notes page in your bulletin, and then also the life group guide is attached to that. Many of you engaged in a life group. It's not too late if you're not to jump into a group where we dig deeper into the application of the Word, because we don't want to be people that just hear and understand and believe, but people who then obey and live out what we hear in the Word. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, and if you are able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God? Let's pray. God, uh, this section of Hebrews, for me and I think for many of us, is more challenging to get our minds around because we were not first century Jews coming out of the Jewish religion. And so the old covenant may be not as familiar to us as it was to them. But, but I, I see relevance for us in this today, and I pray that you would help our minds and hearts to be engaged, that you, by your Spirit, would do a convicting work in us, that you would illuminate your Word, that you would shine into even dark places of our hearts, that we would be transformed today, molded by your Word for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's Word from Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their, on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Amen. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. All right, so you'll see in your notes there are two main points today. The first, just covering the first four verses. Uh, In both of them, 
uh, kind of have three maybe subpoints you would call it under it. First of all, it's this. In verses 1 to 4, we see three reasons that the old covenant sacrifices were not enough. Three reasons. If you remember back, chapters 8 through 10, it's just one argument, right? Uh, and so we've seen this at the beginning of chapter 8 and at the beginning of chapter 9. It starts out with problems or limitations of the old covenant. Here, we're going to see three reasons that old covenant sacrifices were not enough. Look at verse 1. It started out, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Like the sample that I talked about when I was starting the sermon, it's a good thing that was pointing ahead to a better and more full thing yet to come. Remember how we talked about a couple of weeks ago in chapter 8 that the old covenant was provisional. It was not intended to be the ultimate covenant, the ultimate way that God would relate to his people for all time. It was for a certain time. It was provisional. The example I used then was we rented a house when we first moved here before we bought a permanent house. It was provisional. And so it was good for a time, but it wasn't yet the real thing. It was a shadow. It reminded me, as I was looking at this this week, I was reminded of how for a period of time during the pandemic, we had to record worship services with an empty uh, sanctuary and we recorded them and then we would put them on YouTube hoping that people would gather in their living rooms and watch a worship service, maybe sing along and listen to a sermon. And we recognized soon this is not the way it's intended to be, right? That, that, That was like a shadow of the better reality. That was kind of like a worship service, but it was literally flat and two dimensional. It was not what God intended for the fellowship of the people. And that's why even, even though a lot of churches, and we, I understand why they would do it, but we've stopped even doing a live stream because we can't really replicate what we're doing as we gather together on a screen somewhere else. Right? So if you missed the sermon, you can watch a sermon online, but we're not doing uh, live streaming because we recognize that it was a shadow that, that was not as good as the reality of gathering together. So let's do that. That's really what we're saying. The Old Covenant is a shadow of a better and true reality yet to come. The second reason the Old Covenant sacrifices were not enough is at the last half of verse 1. Notice what it says. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So that, that middle section, by notice the repetition there, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. But, but he's just kind of talking about those and giving a lot of language to describe them. Let's not miss what he has on either side of that. It can never, you see that in the middle of verse 1? It can never make perfect those who draw near. All of those sacrifices offered repeatedly year after year could not make perfect those who desire to draw near to God. Certainly, as, as Old Covenant People of God, the Jewish people desired to draw close to God. That's why they had the whole system set up. Yet, they were unable to be made perfect by the sacrifices being made in the tabernacle or the temple. The sacrifices didn't make them perfect. And then the third reason, remember three reasons the old covenant sacrifices were not enough. The third reason we see in verses 2 through 4. It said, otherwise would they have not ceased to be offered. Right? If it worked, why do they keep doing it? That's the question. 
since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, what do they have? A reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So their sacrifices would remind them year after year that God is holy and they before him are not and they needed a sacrifice to be made. That the wages of sin was indeed death. But the blood of bulls and goats was insufficient, not enough, could never take away sin. At best, when those sacrifices were offered in faith, we learn in Romans 3.26 that they would withhold or hold back the judgment of God for a time but they could never take away sin. So it's pretty clear, remember, he's trying to argue with people who are tempted to go back to the old covenant. And so he's giving them argument after argument as to why would you, you would not want to do that. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Who is enough? Who's better? It is Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in verses 5 through 18. Three reasons that Christ's sacrifice was enough. Verses 5 through 18. So reason number one, He willingly offered his own body as God intended. He willingly offered his own body as God intended. And if you heard me read earlier, verses 5 through 10, you maybe noted in your Bible that that the the justification kind of changed to the center of the page is probably how yours does it. Maybe you have the Bible that makes it in bold because it's an Old Testament quote. But notice that this Old Testament quote comes from Psalm 40. Now, if you turn to Psalm 40 in your Bible, you'd notice a couple of differences because this quotation is coming from not the Hebrew uh, Scripture, but the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures called the Septuagint. So there's a couple of differences. But he's quoting Psalm 40. The interesting thing is Psalm 40 was written by King David, who lived about a thousand years earlier than this time. But... Notice how he introduces the quotation of Psalm 40. Look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said. He's saying Jesus just taking the words of King David from a thousand years early and applying them to himself. Jesus can do that, right? Here's what it says. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Isn't that beautiful how that really applies to Jesus? You see why Jesus would apply that to himself. Then look at verse 8. Now the author of Hebrews is describing what he means by that. Verse 8, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He's just highlighting, again, that these old covenant sacrifices were not intended ultimately to be exactly what God desired. God desired a better sacrifice. That is, the sacrifice of his own son. That's why Jesus says, he's given me a body and and I will do your will. I've come to do your will. You might remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, 
that God would take the cup from him, yet not my will, but your will be done. What was God's will for the Son? Look at verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Remember, they'd had burnt offerings, sin offerings, this sacrifice, that sacrifice, this animal, that animal, all of those different things. And here we are told, in contrast with goats and bulls who did not give of themselves willingly, they didn't wake up in the morning like, all right, this is the day, sacrifice me, right? But Jesus willingly going, bowing to the Father's will and willingly himself going to the cross and shedding his blood for us, And what is accomplished for us in that it says in verse 10 is, we have been sanctified. Now, a lot of times when we use that word, we talk about progressive sanctification. That is, the the process by which God is making us more and more holy. But there is also the reality throughout Scripture of a positional sanctification, of something that does happen in a moment like justification, that we are made Holy. We are declared righteous as justification, or we're made holy, sanctified. So sanctified can have both of those meanings. And here it seems to emphasize the sanctified that happens at the moment of us trusting in Jesus and being united with him by faith as his blood is the one-time single sacrifice for all. So, reason number one that Christ's sacrifice was enough, that he willingly offered his own body as God had intended, and he uses Psalm 40, written a thousand years earlier, as his proof that this was God's intent all along. All right, number two. Reason number two, his sacrifice brings perfection. Remember, earlier we saw one of the deficiencies of the Old Covenant was that it could not make perfect. Those sacrifices could not make people perfect. But what does it say Jesus has done? Look at verses 11 to 14. Here's a contrast again. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now we've seen that phrase twice. Verse 4, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. The priest offering daily. Notice these, these contrasting words. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now listen to the contrast in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Priests are standing. We talked about this way back in Hebrews chapter 1. There wasn't chairs in the temple or the tabernacle for priests to sit down in. Because their work was never done. The people kept sinning and sacrifices had to continually be made repeatedly over and over again. And the contrast is Jesus. Jesus who came and was sacrificed once for all. A single sacrifice. And when that sacrifice was done, there's no more work of atonement for Jesus to do. Jesus didn't leave his work incomplete. And so he is now sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a contrast between the old covenant priests and the great high priest, Jesus. He's better. And then in verse 13, interestingly, an allusion to Psalm 110, which we've seen many spots already. Verse 13 says, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
Jesus, not just the Lamb of God who was slain, but the one who has ascended and who is right now reigning from heaven and who will come again to judge all who continue to reject him. And then verse 14, here's the result. Verse 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those, those who are in this process of sanctification. Those who have been declared righteous through faith in Jesus. God's at work sanctifying them. And by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time. So perfection, not even a possibility in the old covenant. Those sacrifices could never bring about perfection. Even from those who would draw near to God through the law. But in Christ... Those who draw near to God in Christ can be perfected by his once-for-all sacrifice. Okay? So that's reason number two. And then finally, reason number three, his sacrifice brings forgiveness of sins. His sacrifice brings forgiveness of sins. This argument that started back in chapter 8 started with a long quotation. Remember we recognize this in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 8. The longest Old Testament quotation in all of the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 8. It's a quotation from Jeremiah 31, where God promises through Jeremiah a new and better covenant is coming. And that has come in Christ. And so now here, at the end of the argument, so he starts the argument with this quote of the new and better covenant that's coming. And now he ends the argument with it as well. Just a shorter Uh, snippet from it here at the end. Verses 15 and 16 say this, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, and here's the quote from Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then it tells us this, verses 17 and 18, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Remember in their sacrifices, they were continually reminded of their sin over and over and over again. And there's this promise in the new covenant, God will remember your sins no more. Not like he forgets about things, but he won't call them to mind and hold them over you. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And listen to what happens in verse verse 18. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin argument with them is don't go back to the old covenant the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin those repeated sacrifices could never take away sin but in christ what is offered to you is forgiveness of sins no longer any sacrifice needed nobody nobody needs to still do something in order to make you right with god christ has done it all this is good news and so The argument for them is, well, why go back to Judaism? And as we've wrestled through these three chapters, again, we go through all of Scripture, even if it's hard, and these chapters have been hard, because like I said, I'm not trying to convince most of you not to go back to Judaism. Most of you didn't come from it. Most of you are not eager to go back to animal sacrifices. I know that. But there is application for us in this. And I think two points today that especially come out of this text, one is this. We are unable to make ourselves perfect. We are unable to make ourselves perfect. The Bible teaches us, and our life experience shows it, that we are sinners. 
by nature and by choice. And for us to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God, we must be perfect. Maybe you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, saying this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's the problem. We're not. And we can't make ourselves perfect. Just as the people in the Old Covenant could not be made perfect through all of their repeated sacrifices, we can't be made perfect through any effort of our own. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much good we do, we cannot make ourselves perfect. I was with middle school youth group this week, and Pastor Nick was teaching from Mark chapter 10. Middle school youth group students, did you hear, do you remember what was said about when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler? He calls him a good teacher. What does Jesus tell him? No one is good except God alone. Right? You're not, you're not perfect. You're not even good. Right? That's what Romans 3 says. No one is righteous. No, not even one. No one does good. This is the reality. We are not perfect. Okay? So that's the problem. We are unable to make ourselves perfect. Now, when I say that, here's a couple of responses you could have to that. When somebody tells you, hey, you're not perfect, and you can't make yourself perfect, some of you, your tendency would be to just give up. All right, well, I know I'm not perfect, nobody else is. And you kind of hope that that's good enough. That, that God maybe like grades on a curve or something because... Because like, well, nobody's perfect, so like even though I missed a few, like am I still, I'm like better than average, right? Lots of people believe the lie that they're good enough and will be accepted by God because they're good enough and good enough isn't good enough, is what Scripture says. We need to be made perfect. Others of you, you hear that and you're like, oh, that's a challenge. I can't make myself perfect, you just watch me try. Right? And so there's this, there's this instinct like, I can do it. You can't tell me I can't do it. I can do it. And you might try to, a lot of people try to do it through religion. Okay? So there's a lot of religions in the world that you could attach yourself to. Right? You could become a Muslim and try really hard to practice the, the five pillars of that faith to make yourself good and right before God. Right? Some of you maybe even grew up in Roman Catholicism and something of that has been ingrained into you. If I dutifully attend Mass and seek God's grace through the sacraments, that's how this process is going to happen. And while some might try through religion, some just try without religion. That's increasingly popular. Uh, there are a lot more people in our country each year that are identifying as having no religious affiliation. Right? Right? And that doesn't mean they're not trying hard to be perfect. A lot of people find a cause and devote their time and money and support everything they can into this because they're trying to prove, I am good and I can do good in this world. So it could be all sorts of different things that people commit themselves to. Fighting for LGBTQ rights, fighting for climate change initiatives, left-wing politics, right-wing politics. You can find any kind of religion that's not really a religion and basically make it your religion. I'm going to try really hard to be really good and do really good, and I'm going to use one of those means to do it. And they need to be told, we need to be told, you'll never attain perfection because we are unable to make ourselves perfect. 
You might have seen, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that the local paper lets me write, uh, pastors in town write every once in a while. And so uh, you might have seen the article that uh, was in there uh, that I wrote like a week and a half ago, I think. And I told this story in there of how my father-in-law, who built his own house and is really good at these things, and I'm not, uh, was in town. And I took advantage of his presence here in town to help me put up a sliding barn door in our house. And so we measured and remeasured and leveled everything before we drilled the big holes in our wall to install the new door. And we got it up after a few hours of work and we slid it over to the right and it covered the stairwell uh, that we wanted it to cover. Good job. We did it, right? We move it over to the left and it covered up the closet that we wanted it to cover. Good job. We did it. We stand back to admire our work it slides to the right. Well, <laughs> that doesn't work. Uh, we had measured and remeasured and leveled and re-leveled. We were probably like a quarter inch off. But over the course of seven feet, a quarter inch off kind of matters a little bit. And what I said in that article is over the course of eternity, our little sin, little sin here, little sin there, maybe we're not as bad as some other people, but against the backdrop of God's perfect holiness and God's perfect standard and looking at the timeline of eternity, our sin matters eternally and we cannot be made perfect. No matter how hard we try, no matter how careful we are, we are unable to make ourselves perfect. And I know like that's a hard thing for people to hear because we live in a just try hard and you can do anything culture don't we? We live in a just try hard and you can do anything you put your mind to. And so it's hard to swallow the truth. Like you can't make yourself perfect. But we must swallow that truth and help others to do the same. I mean, how tragic would it be for somebody to be allowed to go through all of their life thinking that if I just do good enough, I will be accepted by God only to find out when there's no more chance to repent and turn around that they have not been good enough, that God's standard was perfection and they could not attain that on their own. They need to know that now because later is too late. And so Romans chapter 3, verse 23 makes it very clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're unable to make ourselves perfect, but listen to what the very next verse says. It says that we can be justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, there's that word again, by His blood to be received by faith. This is the only way. You can't be made perfect, but the only perfect one who ever lived was perfect, and he has taken our sin on himself and has borne the wrath of the Father for us in our place that we might be declared righteous and perfect, even though in our own we could never attain that. That is attained to be received, it says, by faith. That's the same good news that we see here in Hebrews 10. It's only because of what Christ has done. And that takes us to application point number two. We can only be forgiven through what Christ has done. There is no further sacrifice needed. Jesus came to bear our sins, to be our propitiation, to sacrifice his body, to shed his blood. Why did he do it? It was because it was the will of the Father. And it's the only way we can be forgiven. There's no other way that sins can be taken away. And the passage here in Hebrews 10 reminds us again and again of other things that don't work. Uh, they can never take away sins. We saw it in verse 4. They can never take away sins. We saw it in verse, I think, 11. 
That's at the heart of the gospel. This idea of the forgiveness of sins. This is what we most need. We need to be reminded because they needed to be reminded because of their temptation to go back to the old system. Most of us are not tempted, again, to go back and practice sacrifices as laid out in the book of Leviticus. That's not a temptation most of us face. But as, we, as I wrestled with this this week, here's what I, I recognized. We are still tempted to believe that further sacrifice is needed. Maybe you grew up in a church where it just kind of like made that clear that like, hey, Jesus has done a lot. And it's really kind of up to you to do the rest. Isn't it our tendency when we've sinned to want to do something to make up for it? Have you noticed that in yourself? That when we sin, we want to do, like, like we, we, we've, we've told God we, we don't want to sin anymore in this way, and we sin again in that way, and so we kind of like make a deal. Well, I'll do this because I did this. I want to make up for it in some way. And we do it, maybe even we see it more clearly in our relationships with others. Think about this. You've sinned against somebody. You've hurt them with your words. And you feel so badly that you feel the need to make it up, like, like you need to pay some sort of penance to make it up for them. Like making a sacrifice will make up for our sin. Or when others sin against us, it hurts. And one of the things that we maybe instinctively do is we want them to feel the hurt that they've caused us. And so we don't offer forgiveness and remembering their sins no more. We, we use it as something to kind of hang over their head and remind them of frequently rather than forgiving them, making them feel maybe like they owe us something. So maybe we don't really always think that no further sacrifice is needed. We'd like another sacrifice to be made, either by ourselves or by somebody who has hurt us. But how freeing it is. How freeing it is to know that no further sacrifice is needed. Praise God that He does not expect some sort of penance from you or me. Not like we still need to suffer for our sins because Christ has suffered for us once for all. Praise God that He does not hold our sin over our head so that we are to live in a constant state of guilt and shame. No, remember what verse 17 says. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. And verse 18, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Sin is at the heart of all of our problems. And forgiveness of sins is at the heart of the good news, the gospel. You need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. Have you been forgiven? That's, that's a very applicable question. Have you been forgiven? This is a great need, one of your greatest needs. If you are not assured that you have been forgiven by God, then I want to talk to you even before you leave today. But if you are here among the many who, by God's grace through your faith in Jesus, have been saved, your sins forgiven, then it certainly makes sense for us to loudly sing a closing song that reminds us of what happened on the cross. When Jesus, as the single, once-for-all sacrifice for our sin, died for sinners like us. And so we will sing the repeated chorus, this the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, 
bore the wrath, that, that the blame that I deserve, the sin that was mine, the blame that I deserve, the wrath that I deserve, he took it, he bore it. And what's the result for me? We stand forgiven at the cross. Hebrews chapter 10 is filled with all kinds of good news. We stick with Jesus still today. We hold fast to Jesus because only by his shed blood do we have forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you're, you're holy and perfect in all you say and do. And so it's right for us to just confess to you that we're not. And we admit that we can't make ourselves perfect. We, we, we can't earn our way into your perfect presence. And so we need something that we can't get on our own. We need to be forgiven. We need to be justified, sanctified, made perfect. And we are thankful that you have provided the way, the only way for this to happen. And you've provided it for us in your Son who came to this earth, who lived a sinless life, made like us in every way, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And that he took our sin on himself, that he took our blame, that he bore your wrath, so that we who are united to him by faith, through no merit of our own, can stand forgiven at the cross. We